right, welcome back to another episode of the Tracking Shot Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Spencer. And I'm another one of your hosts, Taylor Dodson. And you know what they say, say hello to my little friend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's right, we're talking about that movie that everybody that you went to high school with, who maybe didn't graduate, posts about on Facebook, Scarface from the 1980s, starring Al Pacino, a Italian-American man playing a Cuban... uh, Cuban gangster, mm-hmm. Cuban immigrant, uh, drug lord, drug lord gangster named Tony Montana, <laughs> which is a oh man that name, uh, and directed by Brian De Palma. Directed by Brian De Palma, and I, I am a, I am a fan of Brian De Palma's, but this movie, I, I don't like to talk about like critical reception and the differences in, in how I feel to movies about criti- than the critical reception and the financial reception, but this movie feels like one of the most overrated movies in the oh, world. Oh, yeah. People love it, and I strongly dislike it. And, like, it's so strange. It's so, 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 so strange. What Scarface, we've talked about the 1930s Scarface yeah. already, what the 1930s Scarface turned into with this. Yeah. How a... Sorry, I yawned. Um, how a movie about the Italian-American mafia turned into a movie with the exact same plot, basically, um, about a Cuban immigrant drug lord. Yeah. I don't understand how that happened, but it did, so. And, like, we're not here to dunk on the movie or anything. It's just, there's some, it's it's a very strange and problematic it's questionable for movie, sure. Movie, yeah. Um, what we are here to dunk on might be the uh, the soundtrack. Okay. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the music was okay. It's fine. <laughs> it's 80s. It's disco, synth rock. And actually, like, to, to stop the dunking for a minute, I think what this movie gets so right... Is the music. Is, was the, but is the quintessential, like... 80s-ness of it. Yeah. Were the 80s really like that? Absolutely not. No. But like my Maybe. fever dream of like, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't alive during the 80s. My fever dream of what the 80s were in Miami, like that to me is Scarface distilled down. Yeah, It's like kind of vaporwave, kind of like neon lights and, and, and everybody looks like they're made of plastic mm-hmm. and, and the music is synthy and with, with yep. electronic drums and all kinds of stuff. It feels like that's what it would feel like to live in 1980s Miami. And also all the cocaine. Yeah. Um, well, which, I mean, whatever, that's 2019 Miami too, but still. Um, a lot of the songs from the soundtrack, fun fact, were featured in the video game Grand Theft Auto 3. In 2001. Grand Theft Auto 3 has a character that is Tony Montana. I believe, yeah. I believe, voiced by Al Pacino. It's n- it's not Tony Montana, but, I mean, it takes place in, um, I believe it's Vice City. Or is that, I don't remember. Vice City, I believe, is their version of Miami. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I could talk about Grand Theft Auto and all that stuff for a while. Um... There was also there was also much later than the movie came out in like 2007, there was a Scarface video game made. Hmm. Um, I have oh. a copy of it. 2006, Scarface: but, The World Is Yours. Okay, 
There's a there's a yeah. I have a version of it for the PSP. It's not a good game. I wouldn't uh, imagine it would be. It's a weird. It's a weird product for sure. Um, it says for that they used quote diverse songs from hip hop artists sampled songs from the soundtrack for the video game. Yeah, it's um, it's a sequel, I believe, to the movie. Okay. I believe that's what the game is. Um. So something interesting that I was reading on the um, Scarface soundtrack Wikipedia was. According to De Palma, Universal wanted to change the original soundtrack for a rap score. Can you imagine that movie with rap instead of the 80s synth? In 1983? Yeah. I mean, what... what or even... maybe it was for the re-release? Oh, for the 2003 remaster. Okay, because I was what like, was. what What even was rap, rap in, in 1983? Like, like, I think Straight Outta Compton was... was um, 88 yeah so like that would have been like pre the dawn of gangster rap yeah so that would have been oh man that's something to think about but yeah. if, so for 2003 they wanted to do a re-release a re-release with rap music instead of 80 synth i would like to watch that movie <laughs> and just know that it exists yeah i think oh man that would be really neat actually i don't think it'd be good i think it'd be really interesting what might be cool is to keep the 80s synth like to sample those songs yeah, the original songs absolutely. and then rap over them yeah. might be cool um but man i just don't know but, i know and in, in this movie like problematic as it is the movie is a cohesive product it, it is a cohesive working product in that way it is a good movie like, like, there's lots and lots of bad things about the movie um, and some issues, but if you changed one of those puzzle pieces, like the soundtrack, I feel like it wouldn't be as cohesive. You have a sly look on your face. According to Brian De Palma, the film director of Scarface, Universal Pictures had intended to re-release the film with a rap score, but De Palma has not allowed them to change the original score, as he considered it to be, quote, perfect. So there you go, there you go. I mean, <laughs> the man himself. I just uh, imagine them all sitting in like a big conference room. He's like, "No, nah, it's perfect." Yep, <laughs> you're not allowed. He says, "No, thank you." <laughs> no, sir. Um, the film was shot in Louisville, hmm. in Los Angeles. I'm from Louisville. The Why Louisville would they shoot it in Miami? Because it might have been as dangerous as the movie. <laughs> I suppose. Um, uh. Yeah, I don't know. And, and yeah, Louisville is a weird... So something kind of interesting about the soundtrack itself um, is that the producer um, is an Italian man named Giorgio Moroder. Giorgio Moroder. Mm-hmm. G-I-O-R-G-I-O. Giorgio. Giorgio. Moroder. Um, Italian record producer. But he wrote and produced all of the tracks. Um, and it had multiple singers, including Paul Engeman, Debbie Harry, Amy Holland, and more. Giorgio Moroder has created a score of songs for many performers, including David Bowie, Kylie Minogue, mm -hmm. um, Irene Cara, Janet Jackson, Madeleine Kane, Melissa Manchester, Blondie, Japan, and France Jolie. Freddie Mercury, Daft Punk, Sia, Britney Spears... 
the list goes on and on. Did wow. you say Donna Summer? I did not say Donna Summer. <laughs> yeah. He's got a lot of stuff that he's done. So, it's kind of a neat thing. Yeah, and it looks like, I mean, his... He, uh, in the same year, he did Flashdance and Superman 3 as well. <laughs> as well as Scarface. <laughs> Wild. That's a combination of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they, they released... There were, like, singles from this um, oh, soundtrack that went to... Yeah, he did Top Gun. Yeah. Um, that went to radio. So, Scarface, Push It to the Limit, went to radio. Turn Out the Night, She's on Fire, and Rush Rush all went to radio as singles um, after the movie came out. Man, the 80s were weird. Weird times, like, yeah. Like, I, it, to, to, to connect it to recent events, are they playing that... A Star Is Born song, like on the radio. Yes, and That's they've also wild. played um, "Sunflower," that Post Malone song that was on um, Spider Verse. They played that. Okay, too. So that makes more sense to me. I don't. I don't know. Spider Verse. That doesn't matter. None of that matters. Um, it it kind of comes back to what we were talking about last week with the Cotton Club of like, it's so weird to see the intersection of film music and popular music yeah in a way in the consumption of it like like i guess because we like we grew up in the era of like non-distinct orchestral soundtracks for most movies yeah like like most blockbuster movies are things like titanic yeah and um avatar and there's another inception i mean like, like I'm sure we grew up in the era of hans zimmer yeah not in the era of Giorgio marauder yeah but i'm sure my heart will go on was on the radio after titanic came yeah out. that's true celine dion it, i think it depends on who who's behind the track yeah for the film soundtrack it movies eventually became or there was a time you were just watching the 2000s documentary mm-hmm. on netflix but the, the or the cnn 2000s documentary it feels like between the late 80s and like 2003 almost all media became this sort of besides video games video games are weird but became this weird like amorphous indistinct thing like like movies became these things that had no real identity mm-hmm. like like movies like clueless which is irrelevant to this whatsoever movies like clueless in my mind don't exist as any certain thing they exist as a piece of the 90s puzzle and i only I bring suppose. i only bring that up because scarface scarface was right before that and it is such a distinct movie it is such a like in your face powerful thing mm-hmm. that again doesn't necessarily work all the time but still um a 2003 remaster would be would be fascinating yeah to see how they changed that how they would have changed that to be a 2003 movie yeah um so i don't know absolutely anyways more about the music less about me ranting about um, media identity. yeah i don't know that's it's just a weird weird movie weird soundtrack I don't know. He said, um, 
So the soundtrack incorporates elements of disco, post-disco, and synth rock. Um, Maroder apparently employed music as material to conduct performances, experiences, and energies whose symbolic function and textural weight are elucidated by the oral materiality of its soundtrack. (laughs) Hang on, can I read that? Yeah, that was a lot. Yeah. um... But basically he is like, soundtracks rule. Maroder employed music as material to conduct performances, experiences, and energies whose symbolic function and textural weight are elucidated by the oral materiality of its soundtrack. The oral materiality. Okay, I'm trying to parse this quote because there's just a lot of big words. Yeah. Um, Maroder employed music as material to conduct performances. So they're, they're saying that the music was a extension of the performances of the actors, mm-hmm. I guess. Experiences, so to connect the music to what the characters are experiencing. And energies, vibes, I guess, is what you would say. I guess that's no better of a word, but... Um, yeah. Tone, I guess. The yeah. tone of the film. Yeah. Whose symbolic function... I guess that could be... The symbolic function could be... Um, what's the word? Um, Vibes. Diegetic <laughs> uh, or extra diegetic. Okay. The, the symbolic function um, might be if it's happening in the movie, then the, the function of the music mm-hmm. has something to do with the vibes. Um, and textural weight, that to me talks more about the actual music of like yeah. the, the punchiness of the bass, the, the cutting of the synth. As you've been dissecting that quote, I've been thinking about the uh, the scene that's a sequence of events when like he gets married and then you see the tiger right. and right. they're counting all the money. Like all of that works with everything that you just said. Like the song "Push yeah. It to the Limit," he yes, is pushing exactly. his power to the limit. Exactly. Where whereas lots of film soundtracks are more. This sounds um, neat right here. Yeah, they're more metaphorical. This this has a more tactile function mm-hmm. in in the movie itself. Um, yeah, and then the last the last bit of elucidated by the oral materiality. Um, oral material mat- materiality is a lot because that yeah. that has to do with like how you hear the music and what that what that hearing of the music puts into your brain like like what material mm-hmm. items or consumption do you think about when you hear that music when you experience that music in conjunction with the movie that's a really interesting quote um yeah apparently he also uh considered the film to be undoubtedly the one that withstood the test of time most impressively growing in popularity as the years passed that's definitely that's definitely true and mm-hmm. i mean we you can attribute the, the increasing popularity of this movie to the decline of the middle class in america mm-hmm. even so like you could say there there's a rags to riches story however terrible it is like the guy goes from a cuban immigrant to 
running one of the most successful drug trades in yeah. the country. Um, and, and, you, and you can you can see how a certain section of people would idolize Tony Montana. Well, yeah. And and it's that I think that's the most fascinating thing to me about this movie is is because maybe maybe the movie is saying something about that. Mm-hmm. De, De Palma is smart enough for me to think that the movie isn't as gross as it suggests it is. Yeah. But it, it is kind of unavoidable to feel that way. But but it, it certainly does. I mean, as the same with with the Godfather and and the Cotton Club, they cut at the underpinnings of capitalism. They they cut at this movie cuts at um, like showing how the drug trade is not much different than international trade or or our economic system here in, in the United States. The the movie shows the maybe lack of discrepancies between the US government and drug kingpins and drug drug rings. Um and I don't know. It's it's the the cultural impact of this movie is almost more fascinating than the movie itself. Yeah, and it's it's like at this point everybody knows if you say Scarface, people don't think of the first one. They think of this one right. because it's like a pinnacle of pop culture from the eighties. Yeah. Everybody saw this movie. Everybody knows Push It to the Limit. Everybody knows. Right. Say hello to my little friend. Yeah. How many... Have we done this on the show before? You have gratatat at least on the last three episodes. Okay. I guess that's my thing now. I guess. <laughs> um, one last thing I have to say about it uh, is that... Um, some people, I don't know, like why they're famous, but they said that the soundtrack is sheer fun, and I'd agree with that. It's pretty. It is pretty fun. It's just, yeah, it's just good. Like it's good '80s synth pop gold. The existence of this movie and the use of its soundtrack in 1983 feels like a direct influence to drive have you seen drive no. with uh ryan gosling no. it's it's another movie like this where like <laughs> a certain subsect of people like do you know the drive jacket do you know what i'm talking about when i talk about the drive jacket the, no. the main character in that movie ryan gosling's character wears this jacket and like every dude wants it like mm-hmm. you you see them in bars a lot maybe not around here but like it's got a scorpion on the back it's like a gold and black jacket like a bomber jacket with a, a scorpion on the back um, but anyways the the score in that movie even though it takes place sort of contemporaneously when the movie came out in 2013 i think 2011 um, the music is very 80s synthy but then with a layer of like some of the songs have vocals uh, that are more modern um, but yeah, people idolize the character in Drive, who does some pretty nasty shit. Um, oh, excuse me, I cursed. On, I cursed. I can't remember if I if I. I think we've cursed. Okay. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, the same way they idolize Tony Montana, mm-hmm. and there's less depth to the characters in Drive, but still, it's it's I don't know, it's weird. 
I wonder if the music I wonder if the music helps people forget about all of the misdeeds of the characters in that movie. Oh yeah, with like an upbeat, funky right. song, you f- tend to forget about people yeah. doing bad shit. Yeah. I don't know. I need to I would like to watch this movie like seven more times to really get to really come to a conclusion on some things that mm-hmm. I, I feel about it. Um, so maybe we'll do that. Maybe you will. Maybe okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. I don't. Do you have anything else? No, that's it. All right. Uh, well, thanks for joining us again. Next week we'll talk about another movie. Um, I think we dive into the Godfather's next. Oh boy. Oh boy. Francis Forty. My boy E. Coming at us again. Yeah. Uh, With a movie he didn't want to make. But he, I bet he's glad he made it now, though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, because he um, made two more. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. Cool. Yeah, that's it for us here. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, my name is Chris Spencer. I'm Taylor Dodson. And this has been another episode of the Tracking Shot Podcast. Bye. Bye.